Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. I'm Lauren. And I'm Matt. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Oh, that is very good. <laughs> Thank you. That is very good. Good. I'm Thank glad. you. Okay. It's going to make this easier. Right? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that could have been very <laughs> awkward there. <right? laughs> Not my thing. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Thank you, and we're out. <laughs> Shortest episode ever. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, fortunately, this is going to go good because I like that. Um, I'm super excited to be here because uh, we're talking about mead. We today. are. Um, for anyone who hasn't read the I don't know, episode title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I kind of came into this one a little bit different. We were just talking about that. I came into this one a little bit blind. Um, what I know about mead kind of has this, uh, to me, like that very romantic whatever. It's like the Middle Ages. And yeah. I'm going to drink my mead and whatever. <laughs> and, and right. And you don't hear about it much today, I don't think. At least I don't. Yeah. But it's something that I've always wondered about and had a lot of interest in. So when you guys said you guys were willing to talk about mead, I got super excited. We're glad you're here. Awesome. So we should say who who we are. So we're at Bloom Mead Works in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yep. And Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and as... Uh, your alcoholic history, sure. or, uh, not alcoholic, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> your, uh, your relationship and history with alcohol. It's making a lot of assumptions. No, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I'm Lauren. Matt and I are um, partners here at the Meadery. We're also married. Um, so we opened this together a little over a year ago. My relationship to alcohol, I think alcohol was uh, fairly casual in my family growing up. I'm an only child. Um, I think my parents probably felt as though if I was exposed to it at home, it wouldn't be a big deal when I left home. So, you know, we would often have wine with dinner, beer with dinner, things like that. And I think their theory kind of held true. It never felt like a really big deal. My, I think, relationship toward alcohol now is really kind of shaped by food. And I think of it as kind of a food, something that I would add to a meal, something that I drink because I really love the flavor of it much as I would approach food. And so it's kind of, it's kind of morphed in that way. And then taking on this business is really kind of an extension of, of that and my interest in food. Yeah. And I think that's really wise what your parents did. And I did that with my kids Mm -hmm. as they were growing up. And I think that that's, and and we've had episodes that we've talked about that before, just people's relationship with alcohol as they grow up. And I I think if you do remove that mystery, um, and that, I don't know, um, danger or whatever yeah. is around alcohol, right? Then it's like, ooh, I'm going to go experiment. And when it's just something this normal. It's not really a big deal. It's yeah. not as cool when your parents are doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, that's the key right there. <laughs> so, so, so maybe I should start doing a lot more things I don't want my kids to do. Yeah, but exactly. I might look a little weird. <laughs> just <laughs> full <laughs> sleeves. You're like, don't do this, kids. Yeah, oh no, that, that would not be good. <laughs> Although if it kept them from doing it, it might be worth yeah, it, right? right. <laughs> uh, and so Matt, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yours? So my relationship with alcohol, um, I, my family was very open with alcohol growing up. Um, so I don't know, I don't remember when I first had my first drink or anything like that, but definitely you know, around maybe the age of 12 is when we, we started. And um, my parents are, are very flavor oriented people. So like they're always exposing me to new wines. My dad's a whiskey drinker. Uh, so like, you know, there was always new whiskeys to be trying in the household and stuff. And, you know, and growing up from there, I eventually went to college and it was in college where I got exposed to craft beer. 
as a consumer. So I, I quickly, you know, evolved from Keystone Light to craft beer uh, in college. <laughs> Smart <laughs> and, move. So, so for my 21st birthday, we had actually had a keg of, it was a local brewery in, in Boulder, but it was one of their Belgian style beers for my birthday. Like we had a quarter barrel and nice. uh, it was a lot to finish. Uh, <laughs> much higher alcohol than what most kids in college are used to drinking. But uh, you took on that challenge, didn't we you? We did. We definitely yeah. took on that challenge <laughs> and it was fun. Uh, and then after college, uh, you know, I moved, I moved to Chicago and you know, the craft beer scene wasn't the same in Chicago as it was in, in Colorado. So I, I definitely got to watch kind of the craft beer scene kind of come through Chicago a little bit, which is a lot of fun. And then eventually started a brewery in Chicago. So I transitioned from consumer to producer and, and with some, some business partners. And that was a big change for me uh, because I just went from enjoyment to actually analyzing. And even as a home brewer, I didn't really analyze too much of what I was doing. I was just enjoying it. And uh, so now when I consume alcohol, like I find myself, I have to turn a switch on or turn a switch off to either say like, I'm just here to enjoy this. And, and and not think about what I'm drinking and just be in the moment or I need to actually analyze it and I have to turn on that switch to say like okay what am I drinking why like what is it what am I tasting what am I getting out of it and go through this whole process of <laughs> of doing it and I, I intentionally did that because I early on in the craft beer scene when I was like learning like meeting people and, and doing stuff I saw so many people that like stopped it looked to me like they weren't enjoying it anymore because they were over analyzing it and they were thinking so much about it that they they kind of lost the fun and I was like yeah. I, I was like I don't want to be that guy <laughs> yeah so I I made it a point to to, to build a switch and and turn it off and just hang out and drink you know it's so like I while, while I can't drink beer anymore because uh, I have a gluten allergy you know I still can appreciate like just hanging out and have like the concept of hanging out and just having a beer and not analyzing it yeah, and I never really thought about that actually until you were just talking about that, that how actually producing it can completely change your enjoyment. I've yeah. known a, a person or two, nobody famous, unfortunately, uh, in the movie business or whatever. And when you do that, it changes your perspective. You can't watch a movie normally yeah. anymore. So you're nitpicking every piece of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're overthinking and overanalyzing it. So that's smart. You have the ability to, to flip that switch. Are you? Can you flip the switch, Lauren? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's good to know that you guys can do that um, because I never even really thought about that. It could, like you said, ruin it for some people. Yeah. Another thing that I think is kind of interesting is we found that the more access you have to it, I think the less we consume in volume. So, you know, we'll we'll pick out something that we're really interested in and really looking forward to and have a drink or two. But when you're around it all the time, you're tasting it all the time, we don't really drink that often um, because it's just a part of every single day, you know. I wish that had worked. I was younger. I worked in a, a cookie company, <laughs> and I wish it Maybe worked that way. For everything. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, every time a fresh batch came out of the oven, I was eating another Still one. Still enjoyable. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So that's good. Yep. Let's see. Let's start with. Let's just talk about mead because mm -hmm. let's just say what it is. What here's what little I know, and then you can fix and or correct this. Sure. Is it's an alcoholic beverage made with honey? That's about how much I know. Okay. So <laughs> is that semi-accurate? That is accurate. Okay. Uh, to kind of narrow it a little bit further, mead is uh, technically a honey wine. Okay. So it's defined by the federal government as a wine. We have a small winemaker's license to produce mead and cider. Honey, yeast, and water. That's what goes into fermentation for mead. And then from there, you're obviously adding in adjuncts, other flavors, things like that. Mead is interesting in that there's different language that has evolved to describe mead with different things added to it. So we have a sizer on the menu that means that it's mead and pressed apple juice fermented together. And I'm um, going to try some of that in a little bit. Yeah, we have I'm that excited. on the flight. Um, okay. 
you know, there's there's words like a mellow mel, which means there's a fruit added to it, or a pie mint, which means there's grapes. We rarely use those names for things. We feel like most people don't know them. Um, it makes it a little bit less approachable for somebody mm-hmm. to understand what they're about to drink when it's something that they might not be familiar with in the first place. Yep. Um, but it does have, meat has this very long history, and so there's kind of a language that's evolved around it. Yeah. Uh, over time. A lot of, you know, a lot of historians believe that, you know, meat is the oldest alcoholic beverage in the world. And I'm, I'm, I believe that. I think that's probably accurate um, from a production standpoint. It makes a lot of sense that, like, all you really got to do is mix water with honey and you bring the sugar content down. The sugars are readily available for yeast to eat them. And we, we have yeast readily available in the ambient air and, and around us and stuff. So I think that, you know, it's probably the oldest beverage in the alcoholic beverage in the world. So. Yeah, and that makes, I mean, that makes sense, right? Because beer and some of those other things and, and wine, they have, you have to have the grapes and seal grains and more things. This is, you know, honey, you put a little water in there, let the yeast in the air do its thing, and eventually you've got something like this. So it makes sense that would be first. Yeah. And that is really, and that's kind of, I, no, no, it is surprising to me that it is literally, it's it, the base anyway. I mean, again, you can add 500 bajillion things. Yeah. But honey, yeast, and water. That's it. Okay. And so now... You called this wine, mm-hmm. and I'm drinking now. Now the one I'm drinking is a hop. Yep. Would say so tell hopped me what, mead. Hopped mead. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna taste a little more beer-like. I'm assuming just because of the hops. Yeah. And it does taste beer-like, but it, so it's somewhere between, and this one in particular, somewhere kind of between a beer and maybe like a sparkling wine-ish. Is, sure. Is so. How would you explain the flavor, the taste? Because I've also heard it. I've heard it referred to as like a beer-like drink. I've heard it referred to as a wine. Yeah. And and I've never really understood if there were two different things or just two different representations of the same. So we struggled with that a little bit. Um, in terms of the, the way it's defined by the government, it's Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's defined as wine because of um, the amount of manipulation that's done to the ingredients before fermentation. So if you're thinking about a wine, you're taking honey, mixing it with water, beginning fermentation. You're taking grapes, you're pressing them, you're beginning fermentation. Whereas with beer, you're taking grain, you're boiling them first, and then you're beginning your fermentation. So that wine designation really just has to do with the fact that we're taking an agricultural product and moving directly into fermentation. Okay. We feel that sometimes saying wine doesn't give people the right image or the right feel of what we produce. Traditional meat is usually more wine-like. So it's going to be higher in alcohol. It's going to be fairly sweet, almost like a dessert wine. It's going to be still. A lot of times it's served at room temperature. Um, So it kind of fits more that wine description. We make session-style meads, so they're five to seven percent alcohol they're carbonated most of them are quite dry there's not a lot of sweetness left to them and so when we were calling it honey wine we felt like saying that just didn't convey what the product was so we started as we were describing to people before we opened calling it mead insider brewery which isn't even really accurate but it helped people get an idea of what it was like it's sparkling it's refreshing you can drink a pint of it Um, and it also gave them a feel for what the space would be like it's a tap room more than a winery tasting room you know you can sit and play games hang out watch movies whatnot so yeah that was a struggle for a little while to try to figure out what to call it Um, now a lot of times when we're describing it to people we'll say it's it's kind of uh, fermented like a dry cider Okay. Um, that gives people an idea of kind of what the fermentation process is like. 
loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives them a little bit of an idea of what to expect when they start to drink it out of the glass. It's going to be cold. It's going to be sparkling. It's going to be dry. Yeah, because if you'd said honey wine, yeah. I, I'm not sure what this I've imagined. This is not what you would have yeah. yeah, and if you'd said mead, again, I'm not 100% sure on there. And again, I'm kind of torn somewhere between is this a sparkling wine yeah. or is this, again, more towards a, a cider or a, or a beer type of a beverage? So it, it kind of walks that, that line very nicely, I guess. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think the session, the session style exemplifies that a little bit more just because you, you know, I described it as something you can drink at a barbecue. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of my target when I think about anything that I'm making. Like, can I drink this at a barbecue? And, you know, in, in the sun, in the summertime, like, or is it like, cause whereas traditional mead, like as much as I may love traditional mead, I can't drink it at a barbecue in the summertime. It's just too, too heavy, too thick, too high alcohol. Like I'm, it's not going to work for me. And but. it's a really, oftentimes a really saturated flavor, which is great. You know, a really beautiful beautiful, thick, heavy flavor on your palate, mm-hmm. which we love, but you, you would want to drink that in smaller quantities. And that, that would be like your straight, more mm-hmm. traditional yeah. kind of a mead. Yep. yep. Okay. You know, we we're talking before about how it's likely that it was the first fermented beverage. You know, a lot of times when people come in, they've either never heard of mead and mm-hmm. they randomly stumble across us or they like the space or their friend brings them in. And then we're starting, you know, from square one explaining what mead is, which is a fun conversation for us to have. Or a lot of times it's like, oh, well, my friend's uncle made some in his basement and that oh. was the first one that I had and I really didn't like it. So I don't think I like mead. Not that there isn't great home-brewed mead out there, um, but because there aren't a lot of barriers to entry, a lot of people kind of try it. You know, maybe they're kind of learning about home-brewing, about fermentation. And so a lot of people have a mediocre first experience with mead. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Okay, so I had the hopped mead, and now I'm drinking the rhubarb mead. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about each each of those just real quick. So the hopped, that is... Well, I guess it, as it says, it's a mead with hops. So it Mm -hmm. it does have a little bit more of that beer type profile. Yep. Correct. Yeah, a little more like a pale ale type profile, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yes. Okay. But with no bitterness. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about the process and why that's true? When I'm adding the hops to the to the hopped mead, I'm doing it all post fermentation. So, in the way I make mead, I'm not uh, I'm not heating it like a bo- I don't have a boil process, so I don't really have like the traditional like in beer where you get the the hops that go in and make bitterness and all that stuff or whirlpool additions or anything like that. Uh, but I do add hops post fermentation, and when I do that, they um, it's harder to get the flavor. It's easy to get a lot more of the aromatics. So by making it two additions, the first addition I actually mix the hops with hot water uh, to simulate the whirlpool process in the beer world. Okay. And then the second edition I do just as, as dry hops uh, and, and keep it keep it as a cold cold edition. And that gives me a lot more aromatic. The first one gives me a lot more flavor, kind of round it out a little bit more like a pale ale, but without the bitterness. Okay, nice, nice. And and so I guess to hit that real quick, and then the, we'll talk maybe a little bit about the rhubarb one. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess to get into kind of how it's made. So you're saying you don't like, I know a lot of these, well, I guess you don't heat it up with wine either. But you know, with with a lot of the a lot of the alcohols, you heat everything up and mm-hmm. then you cool it down mm-hmm. and then and that you distill it and everything else. So with this, well, I guess you'd still need to heat it up to distill it, or I guess maybe go through kind of how would you not that anybody should go out and make some mead, go grab a you, beehive. You should actually just, just you know that so? it might be 
you know, okay. First batches might be okay. It, Every, it everything's time. a learning process. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think there's a lot of great homemade meads out yeah, there. Yeah, that that's tons like, of them. Yeah. But you probably shouldn't grab a jar of honey from the store, throw some water in it, and expect some mead to show up. You could expect mead. You might not expect you good, also, good mead. You, you, yeah, you yeah. could also expect vinegar. <laughs> yeah, you might get vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but so what, what's that general process like um, is, as far as uh, how, how might you you make a, a basic mead so uh, basic process you know as we're saying is mixing honey with water and then the biggest difference with making mead from other alcoholic beverages is during the fermentation the yeast really have no nutrients readily available to them so uh-huh. like in beer there's a lot of nitrogen that's readily there um, a lot of fruits have nitrogen that, that's coming into the fermentation and that that nitrogen is is really like the the vitamins if you will for the yeast to finish fermentation so they have a lot of food but they don't have necessarily all the, the things that they need to finish fermentation so it's like if we try to survive on twinkies Oh, like, okay. We'd know, be alive. We'd be alive. We but wouldn't we, be in a good place. Yeah, it would, it would be, we would not be happy and healthy. And you, you really want happy, healthy yeast when you're doing a fermentation for the most part. Um, I'm sure there's a few exceptions to that, but uh, not the way I make stuff too often. <laughs> uh, but uh, so you really want to make sure you're getting a lot of nutrient in there. And there are different nutrients that are available out there to, to making mead. And we, we, use, we utilize those when we're making our meads. Okay. The other thing is that when we're mixing the batch in the tank we're adding the honey and the hot water and matt's trying to add the hot water at the lowest temperature possible to get that honey into solution um, because we don't want to be losing those aromatics and other compounds in the honey which you start to lose over 118 yeah right in that area 118 degrees fahrenheit Um, so we're actually trying to keep it on the cooler side to preserve the qualities of the honey Got it. Now, I got to ask this too. And although we might have gotten a, a little glimpse into the reason why on something Matt was saying a minute ago, but why why mead? You guys are saying <laughs> we're going to put something together, right? And, and again, mead is unique and awesome. And I think I'm going to be drinking more of it now because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I like this. This is awesome. Um, but what, what kind of made you decide that mead is, is the way to go? So we were both into very different fields. I was working in the education nonprofit sector. Matt was working in finance technology. He decided to take a leap with two friends who then became business partners and opened a brewery. He was there for four or five years as head brewer before he found out that he had a gluten allergy. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't drink beer anymore. Um, Stayed on for another year or so brewing. And then we realized we needed something else. We needed to do something else. Yeah. It's hard Um, to brew when you can't drink the product. It's a real bummer. It's a real bummer for a a brewer. I'd been working in the education nonprofit sector and I had transitioned into local food sourcing, local food advocacy, connecting farmers with, you know, just the broader community and and chefs and, and whatnot. And so when we were moving to Michigan, we were trying to think of ways to combine those two and what the intersection might be. So Matt really wanted to stay in fermentation, ideally something he could drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be moving my career into something where we were uh, working with local ingredients, local sourcing. And we'd made a few batches of mead before, home-brewed mead. Um, we did a sparkling plum semi-dry mm-hmm. batch years before and had done a couple other batches that we, we liked how they turned out. So we started playing with it more and you know we'd had a handful of meads. And we really were kind of drawn to this session style and we couldn't find a lot of it. We had a, was it a honey lavender mead? Oh, yeah, I think I we're out on the one. West Coast and we we're like, oh, this is, this is really drinkable. Like this yeah, is we're sessionable. Actually in Portland. Yeah, we were <laughs> okay. in Portland. Go Portland. <laughs> so 
we're like, why, why isn't there more of this? Why can't we make this? And uh, mead and cider kind of lent themselves well naturally because uh, honey and apples we have in abundance in Michigan. So we could source them from local growers and we decided to just kind of double down on that and commit completely. So all of the ingredients that we use are, are from Michigan growers and producers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And now you've mentioned a couple of times a session style. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're drinking here. Yeah. Define session style. So we kind of borrowed the term from the craft beer world. Okay. Uh, so session style to us is meaning how, you know, one alcohol content. Uh, but if you think about like a session IPA as compared to a regular IPA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So alcohol content is big to us. So traditional meads being, you know, 12 to 18% alcohol, let's say ours come in more like that, you know, four to six or five to 7% alcohol right in that range. Um, so first, that's like the first piece of it. The second piece to, to us is how it finishes on the palate. So, you know, can I drink more than one of these? Can I hang out and drink it in a drinking session? Mm-hmm. And which is kind of the, to back up, that's kind of the idea in beer of a session IPA, something that you could sit and drink, you know, a couple of instead of one and then you know being a little racked yeah <laughs> so it. it's a it's how it finishes on the palate and and, and is it a refreshing product is it something i can and hang out and, and have awesome awesome yeah. is there any now that we've talked about mead and we know what mead is yeah. um, and by the way i'm drinking the sizer right now because yep. i've got this nice little tasting yeah. fight you guys have put <laughs> together for me and i'm working my way through it and this is good so the sizer is the blend of mead and cider yep and and that's like that's really good because it's it's. I like ciders. I actually really enjoy it. Yeah. Really enjoy ciders. That I don't know. There's just something a little extra to that one. It's it's. I don't know how I would describe it. Yeah, it's really light. There's a little bit more of a floral note behind it. We sometimes call that like the gateway drug into mead, because um, <laughs> people now are more familiar with cider. Usually mm-hmm. not familiar with mead. So if they've had cider before, um, that's kind of a good transition into uh, session style meads at least. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's semi-dry. It's just off dry. has a tiny bit of sweetness to it. Apple flavor is familiar to people. Also, because it's fruity, we kind of perceive it as being sweeter than it is. So it's not actually that sweet. But because there's that apple note that kind of tricks our palate into thinking that it's a little bit sweeter. You know, in America, we, we tend to like sweet things. Yeah. Um, so that... <laughs> I'm very guilty of that. Yeah, it gives it a little bit of perceived sweetness. Yeah, and, and like I said, most things that we make are quite dry. So that one has... It's a little bit more playful in the amount of sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was going to ask before I got distracted by that amazing <laughs> sizer, <laughs> um, how would you... If, if you were to be a connoisseur, mm-hmm. which I am not by any means, I'm unsophisticated by definition here. Um, great. Uh, how would you like go about like tasting or, or sampling one of these? I mean, because would you do like, would you go for the aroma and then the taste? Or I mean, is there anything to it? Or is it really just one of those you just pick it up and, and go to town and drink it? I think you you certainly could go through that process. There are a lot of aromatics because of the honey. We do a lot of things to try and preserve those. And then a lot of the things that we're adding into it certainly have their aromas. And then I think that the meads tended, the flavor of them tends to change a little bit as the temperature changes. So we're serving them cold on draft. And then I think as they start to warm up a little bit, you know, even just a couple degrees, you're kind of getting different notes from the honey from some of the fruit. But that being said, the idea of this drink was for it to be casual. You know, traditional meat is something that you sit and sip, you drink like a port, you know, you're kind of analyzing it you've got that switch turned on while you're drinking it and to us session mead part of the point of it was to be casual so you can just you know 
crack it open, enjoy it, you know, enjoy it for what it is. And, uh, so yes, I think that that process could probably be done on anything, but for us, it's meant to just be something to relax. Yeah. And for us, you know, for me, the, the way we make meads is, is indicative of like, you know, we want to craft it. We want to produce a product that, you know, delights the customer. We want, we want something that has thought put into it and, and is, it has meaning for us. Very intentional product. Yes. Thank you. Very intentional is a great word. But at the same time, like we're not taking it too seriously. Like, you know, if, you know, if somebody wants to shotgun one of our meads, like I'm not going to get mad. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's, yeah. You're not going to kick him out. No, no, like, no. And I'm like, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the, the federal government or the state government might have issues with people drinking that fast <laughs> in my facility, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really care. Like I, I hope that they're enjoying their moment, you know, or whatever it is, whether that's because of the meat or it's because they're just hanging out drinking and hanging out with friends and it's something they can drink while they do that. I think it's, it's meant to be enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have been, and that's, I was just asking too, cause I was trying to do the little, you know, yeah. get the nose in there. Cause I know there's a lot of things you're supposed to do that with and, you know, even beer or whatever to a degree. Um, I was kind of doing that, but I, I think I, I would agree. I mean, these are just enjoyable and I'm, I moved on and I'm taking a little bit here, a little bit there, but now in the black, it's that black current, black current. Yep. Okay. And so there's several, obviously you guys have 10 or 12. Yep. I, I'd have to count here and I'm, that's like too much math for me yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but different flavors, and I'm assuming you have some that are more seasonal and or come yeah. and go. And so there's always kind of something, I, I would assume. that I mean, they're, depending on what you like, um, oh, it seems they're all Swedish. Or, or actually, no, because the hopped wasn't super sweet either. They're actually all quite dry. All quite dry. So, yep. so, But there's a little something on there kind of for everybody. Yep. Yeah, yeah so the um, a lot of what we make is, is dry. I'd say the sweetest thing that we make sits around medium. Um, so we don't really produce anything on the sweet end. Um, yeah, most things are dry. We have four that we produce year round and then one cider that we produce year round. So the hopped, uh, which you tried, mm-hmm. uh, the we'll sizer, <laughs> which you, you tried and we'll try more, <laughs> um, the standard, which doesn't have anything else added to it. It's just honey, yeast and water, um, mm-hmm. semi dry. Then a gin botanical mead. So we get uh, gin botanicals from the local distillery. And they do four different seasonal gins. So every season we get their spent botanicals and we add them to the mead post-fermentation and let the mead kind of take on some of the flavor from those botanicals. So those we produce year-round and then a tart cider. And then everything else is just seasonal depending on what's growing well in Michigan that year. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Love it. So now we've tried the... Now these are our session drinks and we've enjoyed them this way. If I were, is there mixed drinks or is there, I mean, other things you could do with these other than, you know, which I'm fine pouring these in the glass (laughs) and drinking them, I'll tell you that. But if I wanted to get a little bit more experimental, shall we say, um, what else can you, can you do with meat? We'd been making some cocktails here with our regular session meads. So they were low in alcohol, really refreshing, really light. Kind of a, we did one that was a take on a Rattler that had the hopped mead, uh, grapefruit juice, um, mm. and a little bit of thyme syrup in there. A um, couple things like that, especially in the summer. They were just really light, easy drinking. Um, we recently launched a new series of cocktails. So we brewed one high alcohol but dry mead mm-hmm. still not carbonated and we've been using that for mead cocktails so that one came in at 14 percent 14 percent alcohol um wow. so it gave it a, a little bit higher abv base for making cocktails so then we're mixing to that you know some citrus some simple syrups that we've made with teas um fruit herbs whatnot 
and mixing them here. And it's to me, it's a really great base. It adds a little bit of a floral note, but it's not a really hot dominant flavor. Okay, nice. I'm having a barbecue soon. I want to have some mead to drink with it. Do you guys sell it by the bottle or, I mean, I, I imagine you can get it several different ways. Yeah. Yeah, so we can a lot of the, the meads that we make. Uh, we can a couple of our ciders as well, depending on what's going on with the, the season and whatnot. Uh, but then also at the bar here, you know, we, we fill growlers and howlers as well. So. Nice. I saw a bunch of those up there. Got to love a good growler. Yeah. Now, question on the growlers, though. I was talking to somebody else about this. Totally yeah. minor sidetrack here. But yep. How long do you realistically get out of that growler? Because when I fill a growler, I feel like I got to drink that thing fast. And so, like, I'm like, pounding that thing but i've heard people say it can last a week to or to seven to ten ish days i think even that's a little bit conservative so we usually tell people want if we cap it you take it home and put it in your fridge we usually tell people a week and then once you open it you know it's like a two liter it's going to start losing carbonation and it's going to oxidize a little bit when you when you start opening it more but really i think if you take it home capped and put it in the fridge, you'd probably get much more than a week out of it. Yeah, I have some, I've talked to some of our regulars and stuff who bring to take home growlers and stuff that have, have unfortunately lost a growler in the fridge and, and <laughs> found it you know, a month later and it was still great. Oh, um, wow, okay. So there's a couple things, you know, meat is in general more stable than things like beer or like some of your more traditional wines. It's just by the nature of what it is and what, how it reacts to different things, it's, it's pretty stable stuff, uh, but it doesn't mean you should you know, abuse that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, You're gonna lose quality <laughs> yeah, over there's time. Potential, yeah. There's definitely potential to lose quality over time, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a relatively stable product. And it's really once yeah. you start opening the growler that yep. it starts to go quickly. And keeping it cold is really key. Yeah. You know, I mean, like for, for almost any craft product, if you wanna preserve it, keep it cold. Like that's a, a pretty good rule of thumb. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, any parting words on meat? Anything you want to leave people with or somebody out there who's saying, hey, I want to try it, give it a go, or, or maybe they're not sure yet, or yeah. I don't know, any, anything and all things meat. I think I would just leave, leave people with the, the world of meat is a lot wider than yeah. like the initial perception on meat. Like, I think, you know, just the way we've sat down here and you're, you're trying these meats, like even amongst those meats, there's a pretty wide range. But like, you know, when you actually look at the whole world of meat and like all the different materials and how it can be dry, it can be sweet, it can be carbonated, it can be still like that's a it's a broad spectrum. And it's a it's a bigger world, I think, than people realize. Yeah, it's kind of I think one of the one of the joys that we find is when people come in, they've never had it before. They think they don't like it. And, you know, we say, OK, what do you normally like to drink? Let's start there and then see if we can't find something that you enjoy here you know we people say i drink bud light i drink you know ipas i drink pinot grigio i drink you know whatever it is i don't drink anything and how often you know probably 90 percent of the time 95 percent of the time those people come in and they tell us what they like to drink and we're able to find something that they really love and especially the fact that usually when people come in they aren't expecting that you know they're kind of They've kind of set a low bar for what they think <laughs> is going to happen. And then they just leave really excited about mead. And that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would agree. My mind, I mean, has been open. I thought mead was a drink. Yeah. And, well, obviously, there's a wide variety and, and variations upon. Yeah. And I've enjoyed everything I had today. And so, uh, again, it kind of it's, it's taken it from that medieval kind of yeah. thinking into <laughs> something that that's actually very real and, and very delicious and, and uh, that I need more of in my life, I think. Well, we can help you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody else out there wants to, to learn more, I mean, definitely if you're in the Ann Arbor area, yep. come visit. Uh, but if they want to ship, oh, and I was gonna say, if they want to find you online and, and places you can ship, how yep. would they do that? Uh, on our website, which is drink bloom, 
drinkblom.com. Uh, there's a lot of information on there of what's on tap right now if you're local. And then uh, we're also connected to a third-party wine shipper. Um, so we can ship four, four packs to probably 30 different states, roughly. And if you're in one of those other states, you'll just have to come to Michigan and visit. And it's not a bad place to visit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a great, great place to come visit. Yeah. I highly recommend it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, well, so if you have any feedback, thoughts, comments, any of that, you can reach out to the Unsophisticated Palettes website at mm-hmm. the Uh Tell friends, neighbors, uh, share the word, spread the word, rate us with good stars and good comments. Mm-hmm. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. cheers.